0: Today is part 20. This is the 20th sermon I have preached in the book of the Judges. A few more to go. And we begin today in chapter 13, verse 1 of the book of Judges. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years years so that's the setting again they've messed up again they've decided to do whatever they want to do and the lord has raised up the philistines and they have been under essentially philistine control and occupation now for some 40 years back in chapter 10 they're dealing with the Ammonites in the, in the east, and now here in chapter 13, they're dealing with the Philistines here in the west. And the Philistines, they represent the Lord's agents of punishment for having abandoned him in favor of these people's gods. Philistines, they are God's agents of punishment. Just as some of you growing up, it was a spoon or a board or a belt. That was God's agent of punishment for you, for disobeying your parents, doing whatever you wanted to do. Well, it's the Philistines for these people. And there was a certain man of Zorah, this is verse 2, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and he had no children. He's from the tribe of Dan, and his name is Manoah. We don't know his wife's name, but we know that she can't have kids. So that the story begins to set in this really spiritually dark time for the people. And then it says, the angel of the Lord, verse 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. In Numbers chapter 6, we learn about the laws of the Nazarites. Nazarite laws. You would abstain from three things. No alcoholic beverages, no haircuts, And you don't touch a dead body. Those are the three things you abstain from. And also when it comes to Nazarite vow, you would enter into them voluntarily as an act of dedication to God for a specific time period. And the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he enters into a Nazarite vow chapter, I want to say like somewhere between 20 and 22, he does that. So that's Nazarite vow. No hair cutting, No, can't cut your hair, you're not touching any dead body, no drinking alcoholic beverages, and you enter into it voluntarily for a specific period of time in dedication to God. That's what we're dealing with here. But what's interesting about this, what the message that the angel has when he comes to Manoah's wife, are a little bit different, a little bit unique. And probably the most unique thing right out of the gate is that this is not voluntary. this is divinely imposed and that certainly highlights i think samson's role as god's appointed agent he does not enter the office of governor judge savior deliverer voluntarily And and i use those words because this is the book of the judges and as i said in the intro 19 sermons ago, it really is probably a better description the book of the deliverers because these individuals are not doing judicial type things that we might think of. They are are military deliverers and obviously Samson will be that. But that's the unique thing. Nazarite vow, you enter into it voluntarily. Samson, that doesn't happen. In fact, not only that, but he's going to be a Nazarite from birth to death. And that, I think, Strike some of us strange, because we have this thinking sometimes. It's how our brain. I think maybe it's just how it works, how we think about things that God would never do that. You read this, you're like, "Whoa!" that's right vows, you enter into the voluntarily. Samson doesn't get any choice in the matter. He just has this thrust upon him. Well, what about Samson? Shouldn't he have the say in whether or not he wants to be a deliverer of Israel? Whether he wants to actually even be a Nazirite? I mean, it's one thing to take on a Nazirite vow. It's another to just have this imposed and you're a Nazarite for your whole life. Your whole life. You can't get a haircut. Your whole life. You can't drink alcoholic beverages. Your whole life. You can't touch a dead body. I mean, not I don't know why you'd want to touch a dead body. I'm just thinking out loud here, but that's the position that he's in. And so I think for many of us, we think, well, I don't know how fair that is of God because what does that say about God? I think oftentimes we think of God, he restrains himself, he holds himself back. He's like, all right, Samson, are you okay with this? You are? Okay, I'll move. And I I think when we we think about God, that's how we normally think. This this idea that we've got to let go to let God. There's a christianese phrase right you gotta let go to let god like in other words i've got to give him permission to do whatever it is that he wants to do and that's how i think we sometimes think but really in thinking about it that way we read stories like these and countless others which seem to kind of undo and unravel our thinking God does whatever he wants to do. In fact, that's the nature of him being sovereign. Our God is in the heavens, the psalmist says. He does whatever he will, Psalms 1:15-3. So while we might think of this in terms of, well, that seems strange, it almost would make more sense for God to wait to make sure this is actually what Samson wants to do. Nope, God's going to do exactly what God wants to do because God is the king of the universe. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we have such a, a big God but it still deals with, I think, that misconception that we've got to give him permission, right? We've got to let go so he can do what he needs to do. Three years ago, I am reading my very first Babylon Bee article. It was a true work of the Spirit, you might say, in the most humorous of ways. Now, I did not know anything about the Babylon Bee when I'm reading this three years ago. I'm at Fort Knox, Kentucky... My good friend Tim McMeans. Tim, if you're listening to this, shout out to you. I doubt that he is. And he posted this on social media. I read it. And it's about this guy who's mountain climbing. And the guy is climbing up this mountain, you know, Sydney National Park, and he gets to a, a part in the mountain. And then he remembers and recalls Pastor Jimmy's sermon from the previous week. And Pastor Jimmy re- reminded him and the congregation that in such instances as he found himself now, he's got to let go to let God. At which point, the mountain climber unhooks his safety harness and proceeds to release his grip, tumbling several dozen feet down the mountain, breaking numerous bones, right? And I am thinking, oh my goodness, the whole time I'm thinking this is a totally real story. And of course, my friend explains to me that it's Christian satire, Babylon B, it's not real at all. But I thought it was. I was convinced that it was a real story. And the reason I was convinced is because that's how we talk. In fact, that's how oftentimes we think. We've got to let go to let God. So that God can do whatever he wants to do. And he's just waiting for us, right? He's waiting. And then we come across a story here and... Nope, doesn't get Samson's permission. He's got a plan. Samson's part of his plan. No getting permission. He is going to be God's appointed agent. And what a great honor that is for Samson. But I think for us, when we think about the implications of what the angel comes to tell this woman, I think it should give us hope, right? It gives me hope to think of such a big God like this. It gives me a lot of hope, especially when I think of my unsaved father. Um, when I think of such a big, powerful, sovereign God uh, who by no means is waiting. All right, Mark. Mark, I'm, I'm waiting for you, Mark. Right? I'm waiting, Mark. I need you to, to let go so I can come and, and radically like change your life, Mark. You're not going to? Oh, rats! Can't do anything about that. Um, and, and so that just on a personal note, like that that really gives me hope and encouragement that our God is not bound <laughs> bound by the, the the fickle will of us finite humans, right? We have this infinitely big God who has a plan, and he's got a plan here, right? His people are doing whatever they want to do, and it's not what they should be doing. And he's so good, and he's so gracious that he's going to come in, he's going to break through history, he's going to intervene in the lives of his people for their own good. They don't necessarily even see it that way, probably. Like many of us don't see it that way, but he He does, and he can, and he will. And so that's, I think, a unique thing right out of the gate about Samson's life here. Well, ordinarily, the Nazarite vow is voluntary. Nope, God's got a plan. Samson's going to be his divinely appointed agent. It's from birth to death. It's not for any specific period of time as it normally is when you read Numbers chapter 6, 1 to 8. And, oh, by the way, furthermore, the angel tells Manoah's wife, Samson's mom, you are not to eat of anything un." clean and if you're thinking about wait unclean joe didn't mention that Nazarite vow you don't cut your hair you don't touch a dead body uh you don't drink alcoholic beverages but wait that's we said three that's four so why does the angel give this seemingly new prescription no unclean foods are to be eaten well, understand the setting of this story back in chapter 13, verse 1. What's the setting? The setting is everyone's doing evil in the eyes of God. They're doing whatever they want to do. It's not that this is a new prescription the angel is giving to Manoah's wife, Samson's mother. But rather, he is reminding her of something that all of Israel should be doing anyways. This would be me like saying, guys, I want to encourage all of you to follow all the posted speed limits. Well, yeah, we know, Joe, that's what everyone does. If you live here, right? You follow the posted speed limits. Okay, this is something for Israel. Everyone should have already been doing. But what's the situation? What's the setting? Chapter 13 one, we see this deep spiritual decline on the part of the people. And oh, by the way, Samson's family, they're not immune to this. And in fact, the reason the angel, I think, comes and he, he, he mentions this to Samson's mom is because they are not immune to the spiritual decline. They have drifted from where they should be. They're not guiltless. Like when it says in chapter thirteen one, Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Samson's family, they're, they're not guiltless here. So he tells her something that is universally true for all the people of Israel, not an addition to the Nazarite vow, illustrating 13.1. So then it says this at the end of verse 5, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. When I was reading that, I thought that was interesting because typically you'd, you read this, and he shall, you'd say, and he will save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, right? Whether it's Gideon, whoever it might be, in the book of the Judges, that's I think what we expect to hear Samson's gonna come and he's gonna save the day, the end. It's like, wait, he doesn't say that. He's, he's just gonna he's gonna begin. He's just gonna begin to do this. Why, why does the narrator say that? And I think the narrator says that because it is not just realistic, but it reflects the omniscience, the all-knowing God. God knows the outcome of Samson's life. God knows that Samson will only begin this task. The narrator also is aware of Samson's limited success. The Philistines will remain a problem during the tenure, not just of Samson, but of Samuel and Saul. A final solution to the Philistines will not be achieved until the reign of King David. But nonetheless, that's the message. So Manoah's wife, She comes and tells her husband everything the angel told her. Verse six, then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I I did not ask him where he was from and he did not tell me his name, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death, in retelling Manoah, her husband, what the angel said. I don't know if you caught that. She didn't mention the prohibition of cutting his hair. Almost this ominous foreshadowing of what will take place in the story in the life of Samson. So she comes, and she drops what I would say is kind of a bomb on her husband Manoah. That's a lot uh, to take in. Your wife has been barren. Uh, given the spiritual state and condition in Israel. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to process. And so Manoah prays to God. Verse 8, Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. It's an interesting prayer. God, please come again and teach us what we're supposed to do. We just heard what his wife told him. We we know what they're supposed to do. He's a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So why is he praying this? He's heard the message. I think he's praying this because it's one thing to hear it from his wife. He he wants to hear it from the horse's mouth. Uh, What's the spiritual state in Israel? Do people, are they characterized by deep, rich faith in God? I don't think so. And I don't think Manoah is an exception to this. I mean, if Diana came, she had some interaction with the divine agent. I would say, okay, tell me again what he said. Like, I, I, like it, would, it would be hard for me to wrap my mind around this story. It would be. Okay, to, to Manoah's defense, and I'm going to be critical of him today, I think fairly, but to his defense, this is a lot. So his prayer isn't so much he needs to know what the angel said, because he already heard that from his wife. He just wants to meet the angel, right? This, this, or divine messenger. He doesn't know it's an angel yet. He wants to meet this guy. He wants to hear it, right? Because this is a lot to take in. It's not that he needs to know more. And so, you know, God is good. God is gracious. I'm thankful for God and how gracious he is. Think of Gideon, and we talk about Gideon, I think, a lot. And and I like to bring this up because just to help dispel the misconception how Gideon was trying to discern God's will with the fleece. Gideon already knew God's will. That wasn't the issue. Gideon needed more faith. Gideon's faith was lacking. Gideon was a little bit of a pansy. He, He really was. And we see, I think, a lot of that here reflected with Manoah. God, can you send that guy one more time? I just, he doesn't say it but in these lines it's i need some more encouragement i need some more affirmation i need i need to hear this from you lord and god is patient uh, with Manoah, just as he was with gideon so that's the good news and god listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of god came again to the woman as she sat in the field but Manoah, her husband was what not with her seeing like a mild rebuke so god answers Manoah's prayer God knows that Manoah needs this, right? His wife doesn't necessarily need the guy to come again. Manoah needs this. But in this almost gentle rebuke, he answers his prayer, sends the guy, not to Manoah, but to his wife. Oh, by the way, at the exact time in which Manoah's not there. So he comes to her wife in what I would call a gentle rebuke in verse 9, verse 10. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Again, another, call it maybe mild, gentle rebuke. Are you the guy that came and talked to my wife and told her she was going to have a kid? Yes. Okay. What exactly did you say to her? Well, I think the point of what I was saying to her is she just needs to be careful to listen to everything I said to her. Well, that's not what Manoah wanted. Manoah wanted, like, give me the play-by-play. What did you tell my wife? Listen, here's what I told my wife. Everything I told your wife, she needs just to be careful to do it. Once again, this almost gentle rebuke, because it doesn't really acknowledge Manoah's question here. Once again his faith probably not where it should be but then again should we be surprised what's the state of israel they're under philistine occupation that's that's the state in israel people are not characterized at this time for a deep devotion and love to god and i don't think Manoah is a whole lot different and the angel of the lord said to Manoah, of all that i said to the woman just let her be careful She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or let her eat any unclean thing. Oh, by the way, all that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food but if you prepare a burnt offering then offer to the lord for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the lord parenthetical notation there he doesn't know much like gideon when gideon's having his interaction with the angel of the lord doesn't get it he's like dude can i buy you lunch uh yeah no you can't buy me lunch but if you really want to you can make an offering a sacrifice to god and the narrator very intentionally in that parenthetical notation He did not know that he's talking to the angel of the Lord. He should know, but he doesn't. He doesn't know who he's talking to. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. The, the mild rebukes get a little less mild until we get to this point. And, and Manoah was saying, so dude, can I get your name? Like, I'd love to write you like a thank you card once, you know, this all happens. And the angel of the Lord is essentially saying, why do you care what my name is? Like, do, do you really not get this? How, how in the world do you think your wife who hasn't been able to have children is going to be able to have children? Like, unless God is in this, Right? You're, you're worried about my name? Dude, you're worried about the wrong thing. You not see how wonderful this is? The only way that this is going to happen is if God's if God's in it. You don't need my name. I'm not dropping you off a fruit basket here. There's something, something much bigger at play, and the fact that you don't seem to get it, that's a problem, right? Manoah strikes me as this guy who's just, he's just dull. He's just dense. Like, maybe he lacks some social skills, but he's just not getting it. It makes me think of this time got people at the house a while ago and i remember um there was this guy we'll call him manoa jr and manoa Manoa jr he's sitting on the couch next to this girl i don't know if he liked her or what but he's sitting next to this girl and you know how you on a couch you've got like the three like slots for for seats right so she's on she's like down here like on on the arm right so this is like her seat and this would be like his seat but instead of him sitting here he's like sitting here and she's basically like 30 percent hanging over the armrest you can see like she's not picking up what he's laying down just just throwing that out and i'm watching this from across the room this whole thing unfolding with manoa jr here and i see diana and she comes over right and she comes up behind them and she's like so how's everything going? Which I know when Diana says, how's everything going? It's not going how it's supposed to be going. I know, I know that enough about her. And so she's like, how's everything going? Oh, it's going real well, says Manoa Jr. And Diana, trying to help Manoa Jr. save face, she says, you know, so-and-so, she, she's not been feeling good. She's had a cold, so it's probably best if you don't sit quite too close to her. What a kind thing. Diana trying to save Manoa Jr. At which point Manoa Jr. says, oh, that's okay, I've been under the weather too. It's like, for real Manoa Jr., you're not getting this? So Diana, she just, she just kind of is like, does that right, I'm not gonna move, I'm just gonna like, let you sit there and think about that. And about five seconds later, he's like, oh, oh should, should, I, should I scoot over? Yeah, I think that'd be a good thing, okay. Like, this is Manoah. He doesn't get it. Yo, can I get your uh, name and address so I can like write you a thank you letter? Manoah, I didn't drop off a fruit basket. Like, do you not get this? You're worried about my name and you don't seem to understand what's in play here? The only way your wife has a child is if God brings this about. And here you're worried about these little, tiny, nitty-gritty details. He just doesn't get it. He should get it. He doesn't get it at which point we come to verse 19 so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord to the one who works wonders and what did the angel tell him the verse before you're asking my name Why, why do you ask it seeing it is wonderful and here he's offering the sacrifice to the Lord to who to the one who works wonders, to the one who does these type of wonderful acts, acts that he should be aware of. How does a barren woman who's never been able to have children begin to just have children? She doesn't unless God's in it. And that's what he doesn't understand. That's what he doesn't get. He should, but that's just illustrative of how spiritually on the decline Israel is at this time. And so they offer the sacrifice to the Lord, And Manoah and his wife, they're they're watching this. Verse 20, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Say what? I gotta read that again. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and now they get it. Paraphrase Joe. And they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. Manoah is not theologically off in his statement We're going to die. We just saw God. For once, he actually gets an answer right. But his wife, who seems to be somewhat more perceptive and discerning, tells her husband, if God wanted us dead, we would have been dead like a hot minute ago. Furthermore, if God wanted us dead, why have everything play out like this? At the end of the day Man- Manoah's wife i think we can view her i think certainly positive she just seems to accept the message from the very beginning back in verses three to five guy comes she doesn't say what's your name can i see your driver's license she just takes the message accepts it seemingly with simple faith and then here at the end she's the one kind of like teaching her husband the ways of God. She's the one that's encouraging him in his life, in his faith. I'm thankful for women like this, for Manoah's wife, who I think we can view very positively from this story, at least up to this point. Manoah seems not to know a whole lot about God. Well, we'll fast forward nine months or so. And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young Man grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana Dan between Zora and Eshtael. She names him Samson, little son or sunny boy. And we perhaps wonder why does she call him Samson? And, and there have been a variety of explanations. And it might even be tempting at this point to put a positive spin on it. It was because of his son-like strength. But in reality, I'm not sure that the story is worthy of a positive spin putting on Samson's name. Uh, Samson's name, it also, by the way, incorporates the same element as Beth Shemesh. You guys all know about Beth Shemesh? I didn't know about Beth Shemesh until a week ago. It was the name of a town just down the street from where they lived, but it was at this town, which in this town was the focal point of sun worship, of Canaanite pagan worship of the sun. And her giving him this name, understanding that as the backdrop, is somewhat concerning. It's concerning that she very well may have just named this boy Samson in memory of pagan deity. You say, well, maybe that's a stretch. That's a little bit too negative spin on it. Fair enough. If it's not an outrightly pagan thing that she does in naming him Samson, I would say at the very least, it's a little compromising. Because what are people to think? What's the condition of Israel? Not good. Spiritually, really, really bad. And this town right down the street, what's it known for? Oh, worshiping the sun? And you're naming your son Samson. What are they supposed to think? You say, you're reading too much into it. Am I really? I mean, we think about words have meanings. That's why people don't usually name their son Mussolini or Adolf, right? Or Osama, okay? There's some negative things, I guess, in our past surround those names. That you think, you think you're being too hard. At the very least, if it's not outrightly pagan, her naming him this, at the very least, it's compromising. What are people to think when they meet him? Oh, Samson, Oh, oh, that's Shemesh. Oh, who we worship like the sun. Like that's what they would have thought. And once again, like we see, I think at the very least, it is compromising. But should we be surprised? I don't think so. I don't think we should be surprised that Manoah's wife may have very well named her son after the Canaanite sun god. I don't think that. To a certain degree, I would say Manoah and his wife, these folks, they don't know any better. And I don't use that phrase doesn't know any better as excuse or justification for Israel going off doing evil in the sight of God, but rather to help explain. Like, for Manoah and his family, there's, I think, a certain biblical ignorance. This is one of, this is one of the darkest times in Israel spiritually. And things, things aren't good. The people and their relationship with God is not as it should be. And so, yeah, on on the surface, this the Samson narrative, his conception, his birth, it's a wonderful story of God intervening in human affairs. And we see Manoah's wife in one sense, she's a very beautiful person of unquestioning faith. Manoah, her husband. He's kind of a curious person, like he's the guy with all the questions, but he should have known. He should have known, but along with the rest of the Israelites, they have had little to no experience with God. You might even go so far as to say they don't even really know God all that well. So when the angel of the Lord shows up, Manoah doesn't recognize him immediately. And I don't mean he should have recognized him in, oh, there he is. Oh, yep, I can see him from across the room. He's an angel of the Lord. And as much as what he actually says, his ignorance seems to be centered in what the angel says. Like if this guy, we might say, if he knew his Bible at least like at like maybe a sixth grade level, It would have clicked with him, but it doesn't click. And there are significant practical implications of this. Like, how are we to recognize the truth? How are we to recognize right from wrong if we don't know what God's word says? Because society is at a point in 2019 where almost everything that it says is right is actually wrong. July 10th, week and a half ago. Christian doctor in the United Kingdom was fired because he said he couldn't refer to, and I quote, any six-foot-tall bearded man as madam, end quote. He's fired. He's fired. For not using the proper pronoun. He went on to call it a a ritual denial of an obvious truth. This... This is a Christian doctor who obviously knows God and his word well enough to know that it is an obvious truth. Manoah doesn't recognize what should be an obvious truth that is the identity of the angel of the Lord. Should have been obvious, it's not. But what I realize is sometimes I've learned that we don't recognize the obvious truth in our life because we don't want to. We don't want to. Case in point, Hannah from The Bachelorette. I'm watching this past Monday night's episode uh, and I don't think I've ever mentioned a story from The Bachelor Bachelorette in a sermon in my six years, but there's special significance why I'm mentioning this for point of illustration right now. She is a unique character because, and I say character, she's a real life person. But she is, and been on the show, she's a Christian. or That's what she professes to be. And this is where the story gets unique. She professes to be a Christian. And she's on a date with this guy named Luke, also professes to be a Christian. And, and while she's on the date with Luke, Luke brings up a conversation regarding sex. And he essentially kind of, this is, we're down to the final four, I think. And he wants to make sure they're on the same page. He's apparently under the impression they're on the same page. And he is quoting the Bible to her quoting a passage from Hebrews and honoring the marriage bed. At which point, Hannah gets furious with him. She gets mad. She is so upset. All he's doing is quoting the Bible. I mean, he is flawed, that's for sure, but I can see like he's, he's trying. I think that's what I perceive from this guy, Luke. I don't know him. I think he's trying. Like, he, he acknowledges, listen, Hannah, you and I, we've made mistakes in our past, but I think it's important that we live lives honoring to God from this point forward. I mean, I am all but waving my hanky, being like... The whole time you can see her she's getting angrier and angrier this woman who professes to be a christian at which point she lectures him how dare you judge me you've got problems in your own life you don't have any right to tell me what i should do and jesus loves me like that jesus loves me and you have no right to say anything right and she goes on to quote john chapter 8 the story where jesus he tells the religious leaders who are about to stone the woman in adultery if anyone Has no sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Of course, they all leave. She's like, ha, right there. See, I can do whatever I want to do, essentially. And Jesus is still going to love me. I coincidentally thought it was interesting because she left off the part where uh, Jesus goes to the girl and he's like, hey, Missy, you can't, you got to stop, you know, you got to stop Tomcatting around, right? Sweetie, you got to just end this, right? Go and sin no more. That's the, that's the line. That's what he tells her. Of course, Hannah uh, conveniently leaves that part off, the most significant part of the story in John chapter 8, and she's just furious with this guy, who once again is really just quoting the Bible to her. You see, sometimes what I've recognized is that obvious truth, it's not obvious for Manoah, and sometimes it's not obvious for us because we don't want it to be obvious. Because if it's obvious to us now, we have to bring our life in conformity with the king. And that very much is an issue here. Like, in light of the genuine worship, there's a real danger in Israel at this point of of faith in God being totally extinguished. I can't emphasize just what a dark time this is in Israel. And yet, from the darkest tribe of Dan where evidence of faith is rare, Yahweh raises a son. He raises a son, and yet it still points, points us to a future son, a better Samson, who will succeed in all the areas where Samson fails, where Samson would begin to fight against the enemy, Jesus finishes that fight. The problem today is that so many people, despite claiming to know God, are in reality like Israel. They're doing whatever they want to do. They're doing evil in God's eyes, and yet claiming to be Christians, they deceive themselves like Manoah. They don't know God, or at the very least, they don't know Him very well at all. Like Manoah, they don't recognize Him when they should. Like Hannah, they don't recognize Him because when they hear from Him, part of the reason is is they just don't want to. And we, like the people, do evil in the sight of God, yet retain this religious facade that sometimes we have more in common with Manoah or Hannah from The Bachelorette than with people walking faithfully in obedience to Jesus, our perfect Samson who died on the cross for us that we might live as a free people, not under the control of the Philistines, not under the control of sinful vices, not under the control of temptations, but through the power of Christ that frees us from sin. That's been holding on to us for so long that has caused many of us to forget about our true love, Christ. They are living under the Philistine occupation. Forty years doing evil in the eyes of God, doing their own thing. No doubt, I'm sure many of them claiming to love God claiming to as we'd say today oh I'm a Christian for real well that is what we see here and yet God is good and God is gracious you wonder is, is Manoah and his wife the very best example of what we would call Christianity because if that's the case wow this is really a dark time but regardless God I think, shines the brightest in those moments. His grace is on display in such a powerful way that brings us and should create in us a humble response of praise and worship and repentance. And that's what I hope this story does for us today. So as the team comes, I want to pray for us. Jesus, Jesus, we need your help. Lord, help us to run towards you. It is increasingly, God, harder and harder to walk faithfully to you. The doctor in the United Kingdom lost his job because he embraced the obvious truth, his words, the biblical truth. It's scary. You, you quote the Bible and you get screamed at on a television show. So, Lord, we need you. Help us to be bold. Help us to be what we ought to be. Even though we find ourselves in a day and age which I don't know how much different we really are in 2019 a day and age in which it kind of seems like most people are just doing evil in your eyes I pray that we would be different, that we would live in the freedom that you accomplished on the cross for us by being a better Samson where he began to defeat the Philistines, you totally conquered our enemy sin and death and we praise you for that Help us, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.